When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Punt Intended, a Fantasy NBA Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Brett Bauer, joined as always by my co-host, Travis Fuller. Hello, I'm doing great today. Excited for uh, part two, 2.0 of our rankings breakdown with the one and only Matt Lawson. Thanks for having me back, guys. You know, they say a first date can seem like it went great, but if you don't get a second date, it didn't go that well. So I'm excited to be invited back for a second time and uh, looking forward to getting into a few more players here. You know, even if we didn't like talking to you, the listeners liked it enough to bring you back. So that that is encouraging, if nothing else. First things first, Luke Garza just signed a two-year deal with the Detroit Pistons right before we hopped on the call. And I'm a little bit surprised at this because it didn't seem like he was going to make it. But then he played pretty well in summer league, and clearly they see a little bit of something in him. Yeah, I was with you, Red. I, I thought he was a G League player. For sure, just because it, you know he was great out of college, uh, but somebody that you thought would maybe need some time to adjust to the NBA style of play. But right away, they're giving him a two-year deal, and he looks to be a part of the team. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Matt. I know you're a, a Pistons fan. A, a uh, long-suffering Pistons fan for about a decade <laughs> here, but uh, times are looking a little bit brighter. Yeah, I mean, the writing was on the wall uh, once they finally uh, moved on from Jaleel Okafor as the third big. Um, they obviously liked what they saw from Garza in Summer League. He brings um, something offensively to the table uh, with spacing that they are clearly valuing in bigs. You saw that with them bringing in Kelly Olynyk, um, and you also saw that uh, with Isaiah Stewart at the end of last year. Stewart started putting up three-pointers with volume um, in his last 10 games, which is clearly something that they were trying to develop with him during the season last year. Uh, So I think the vision that they have for this offense are bigs that are able to space the floor and create room for Cade Cunningham um, to be able to get into the lane and uh, dish it or, or get to the basket. So um, Garza fits into that mold. He's never going to play good defense, but I don't think that's the vision for him. I think he's going to be able to be kind of a spark plug big that she can put in, uh, who's going to play with high energy and uh, be able to get some buckets uh, for you in limited doses, especially against backup units. It'll be interesting to see, but I think that he could actually have a little bit of value this year, um, you know, especially if there are injuries. But I think uh, regardless, you'll, you'll see him play a little bit on a Pistons team that 
um, is going to be trying to find how these young players can fit together. Yeah, exactly. I think the opportunity there is the biggest key for him and he's going to have it because they didn't sign him to this for nothing. So I would say 30 team leagues, Garza is a pretty safe pickup. Anything other than that, it would take an injury. Like you said, another piece of breaking news that just popped up, Patrick Williams for the bulls has a severe ankle injury that Woj says will take four to six weeks to return from. We were talking about it a little bit before we started recording and Trav, you said that you're hoping to see Caruso, but training camp could lean into putting more of a wing out there. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Obviously, he's he's going to be out all of October, I would guess. They're going to move him along slowly, uh, make sure he's 100% healthy um, and, and has just full health and uh, full stamina before they just put him back in there. It's going to be really interesting what this team does. They, they added a, a bunch of wings. Um, obviously, you mentioned Caruso signing him uh, to a decent-sized deal for a player of of his caliber. So to me, it's right away. It's just off the top of my head. I think it's going to be matchup based, uh, depending upon who they play and what the other lineup, what the other teams putting out there for their lineup, uh, whether they go Caruso in that starting lineup with DeRozan at the four, or they can keep DeRozan at the three and, and bring in somebody like Derek Jones, Jr. Troy Brown, Jr. Uh, a little bit more length and uh, go a little bit more on the defensive end. But it'll definitely be interesting. Training camp will definitely tell us a lot of what this team's going to do. But the, the great part is, is that they do have options. And that's something that previous Bulls teams did, just did not have. When I think about these kinds of severe ankle injuries, especially high ankle sprains, which I think the early reporting suggests might be uh, what's going on here with Patrick Williams, uh, we want to give caution because we saw this with John Morant last year. It can take a while, even after these players come back, to be able to look like themselves and have any degree of explosion. And I think sometimes that gets confused with the players struggling, especially with younger players. You know, people think, well, they're back, so there's no reason they can't be playing uh, at 100%. Patrick Williams might not meet that timetable because if this is a high ankle sprain it usually takes longer than that four to six week window and I would be careful not to make any judgments about him when he returns uh, and give it a little bit of time because often we see that these injuries can linger throughout the season so if you have Patrick Williams you already needed to be holding I would definitely hold through this because I think that you might have a short-term window where he doesn't quite look like himself when he returns don't let somebody come in in your league and try to you know persuade you to be able to get rid of him because suddenly it seems like he's not living up to the hype this is a big-time prospect and I think that patience is in order especially through this season now that he's had this injury Exactly. And for those of you that are selfish and keep this podcast to yourself and don't spread it around your league, find the Patrick Williams owner that does not listen to us and see how low you can buy for him. Because like he said, they're going to start the season off not playing. And then he's probably going to start the season off slow when he even does return. So you might be able to get, get a top 100 dynasty asset at a discount. So, or one more point, right? I mean, it could be something where he comes back and, and maybe that Bulls team starts off hot. They're, they're gelling right away. And maybe he never comes back and enters that starting lineup. Maybe they just can continue to bring him off the bench if they play well early on. And that's something that you can definitely try and buy low on when negotiating with other teams or other Pat Will owners. Absolutely. A bunch of different avenues to approach that aspect. But like you said, if you have him, please don't sell unless somebody's going to overpay. We mentioned it last time. We're here to yell at each other about a couple of players towards the back end of our top 100. They're towards the back end of Travis and I's top 100. They're not quite towards the back end of Matt's top 100. So the first player, 
and the guy that Matt and I have gone back and forth with quite a bit that he was right. I was, I was a little bit lower on him than I should have been, but apparently I'm still too low on him. Isaiah Stewart, beef stew, Matt, you have him at 74. Travis and I have him at 94. And is this just all about opportunity or is Stewart really that good? I think that some are still holding on to their pre-draft evaluation of Isaiah Stewart uh, when many thought that he was a little too short, maybe not athletic enough, maybe not skilled enough to be a starting center in the NBA. Um, And admittedly, um, as a Pistons fan, after reading a lot of pre-draft work from, you know, the Stan Bassinis of the world, uh, I thought that perhaps Troy Weaver had reached and made a mistake taking an undersized big man at number 16 in the draft last year. But uh, there's a lot more to Isaiah Stewart than just being an energy big, just being some kind of diet version of Kenneth Fareed. Um, Stewart showed immediately last year a level uh, as a defender that I don't think anybody really saw coming into the draft, maybe except Troy Weaver. Um, You can find clips out there. Uh, Jackson Frank on Twitter had a great article on um, Isaiah Stewart and also put some clips out there. Isaiah Stewart locking up Chris Paul in the game against the Suns this year in isolation. Um, his lateral movement, his ability to be able to move his feet is extraordinarily impressive. And that was immediately translated in the defensive metrics as well. And I know that this is going to sound blasphemous. I, you guys might stop, stop this podcast right here, but I think that there are a lot of similarities, at least in the early prospect profiles between Isaiah Stewart and Van Adebayo. Don't and do it. That, Don't do it. That, that, that might sound crazy, but let's take a step back and look at who Bam Adebayo was a few years back. This Bam, like Isaiah Stewart, was back end of the lottery. Bam goes number 14 overall. And both of them were super highly touted high school prospects. Isaiah Stewart was actually number two in the 2019 high school class. Uh, this, this was someone who was targeted very early on in scouting circles as a big-time college prospect and future NBA prospect. And Bam, similarly, was number six in his class. Now, both go, respectively, to Washington and Kentucky, and they disappoint because they play a really traditional big-man role where they don't get to be able to show any of their skill there, and they're not asked to do a lot defensively uh, against perimeter players. Um, So Bam fell in the draft because there just wasn't a lot of hype around him. He was viewed as an undersized center. They're very similar in size, 6'8 and 6'9 respectively, but strong, both built at 250 pounds. Um, And you see immediately with both of them early on in their NBA careers that they're making defensive impact as young players. Now, I don't know if Isaiah Stewart has nearly the levels that Bam Adebayo has unlocked. Very few players have developed to the degree that he has at such a young age. But what I do think that we're already seeing is that Isaiah Stewart does have additional aspects of his game that are going to contribute to his fantasy game. Now, right out of the gate, this is a guy who showed great rebound rates, block rates, strong field goal percentage. And like I was saying a little bit earlier when we were talking about Luka Garza, in the last 10 games, Isaiah Stewart is putting up threes with volume. He puts up 35 of them in his final 10 games. Now, those all all aren't going in, but he had the confidence to be able to take them, and the team had the confidence to be able to put them out there to be doing that because they had been working with him on it. So I think if you're starting to see that outside game develop, if he's going to be able to be a stretch big, and then he's going to be able to provide you with the block rate that he has, the great rebounding that he has, 
your understanding why hashtag basketball, basketball monster are already putting out top 50-ish projections per game for Isaiah Stewart this year. And that's uh, without even predicting him to be 30 plus minutes a night. That's more than the 27, 28 minutes a night that many are thinking that he's going to get this year uh, working alongside Kelly Olenek in that big rotation. So when you have a player this young, who has already shown a contribution to winning basketball. And then you have some of the the big projection systems telling you that he's going to be a fantasy impact player in his second year. Uh, To me, that says I need to be able to have this guy inside of the top 75 because they're saying that he might beat that in per game production this year. And there's room to grow from there. Um, So I'm very high on Isaiah Stewart for this year and beyond. I think he's going to be getting spoon fed buckets from Kate Cunningham over the next decade. Um, there are a lot of people who still have an evaluation of Stewart that see him more as kind of a part of a big rotation, but not the main piece. Um, I think there's a buying opportunity in a lot of leagues still because the perception of him has not caught up to the reality for a lot of people. What you said about him being part of a big rotation and not the big of the rotation is exactly where I think Travis and I land on him because as bad as Detroit is going to be, they could have had Evan Mobley in this draft. Like if, if the if the balls bounce a different way and they get number two and they take Mobley, then is Stewart that good to have taken the Houston Rockets route and taken Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs number two and passed on Evan Mobley because of Isaiah Stewart? That's a question that I don't feel like we have an answer to. And while the production may be good, the decade of getting spoon-fed from Cade Cunningham, I am not quite there yet. Travis, what do you think? Yeah, and you're exactly right. And that was our only concern with him is, is he going to be that guy where teams like he's going to be our center center stone five. We're going to build around this guy along with our other talent. And exactly right. If there is an opportunity in these future drafts to to get a really talented big man, um, one that maybe possesses a little bit more of a scoring profile, are they going to pass on him because they are really confident with what Stewart provides or will they end up taking him um, that's the only thing with, with Stewart. I really like Isaiah Stewart's game, um, coming out of Washington. He was a guy that, um, as Matt alluded to, not a lot of people really got to see his athleticism because as, as we know, Mike Hopkins, uh, former predecessor of, uh, Jim Beheim there at Washington, they play a two, three zone. And it's very similar to Jaden McDaniels coming out of Washington. We didn't know what kind of defender he was because they play that two, three zone, uh, almost exclusively there in Washington. So it's hard to get an evaluation on, on what type of, how their game's going to translate to the NBA, especially on that defensive end. And the, the BAM comp is, is spot on. I, I know it's crazy to say that, but that is who he is most comparable to coming out of college. Now, will his game develop in the way that BAMs has? Uh, obviously, we're going to say no, but it, it's, a, it's a very comparable player coming out of college. I just don't know if we see those next steps in his game, specifically on the offensive end. Uh, to to move him up any further than what we have now. I do think there is room for him to bump up from 94, like we said, even if he isn't the big of the future, but he's the big of the next three years and he's putting up top 75 value in those three years. He has to be higher than 94 in our, in our dynasty rankings just because of the prospect of him putting that up for however many years it takes for them to potentially get another big with the even more upside of potentially him being that big of the future. If he does indeed develop to be bam out of bio, which would be insane <laughs> and, to me. And we jumped him up a lot when that Plumley news came out, we jumped him up quite a bit. Cause I've, as you know, we were somewhat lower on him than most. So it was hard 
for us to, to even bump him up more than what he is now. We're, I think that's why we kind of just settled. Okay. He's inside the top 100. Let's see what he can do this season. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to yet another guy who we've yelled at back and forth for quite some time. Poku, Matt, you have him at 87 and that is later than what he's gone in some mock drafts that we've been doing in both 12 team and 30 team. We have him at 120. We understand the fantasy ceiling, but we're also very aware of the fantasy floor and real life floor because he could just not be in the league. And on a team like OKC, with how many picks they have, are you just you just rolling the dice hoping that he turns into what he can be and not really worrying about the amount of picks they have that could potentially replace him? When it comes to Alek- Alexei Pokashevsky, um, I think that there's a lot of considerations here that uh, go to fundamentally how we need to view dynasty leagues. When I'm putting Poku at number 87, and and let's be clear, that's below his ADP. I'm actually like lagging behind the market for how hyped people are. Oh yeah, he's gone in Poku. the 60s. He's gone in the 60s occasionally, which is insane to me. He is probably the player with the widest range of outcomes of any prospect in the NBA right now. There is potential because, you know, and I'm sorry to mix sports here, but Bill Parcells of NFL coaching fame had something called the planet theory, which was the idea that there are only so many athletes of a certain size on the planet. And Poku is kind of an example of that. A seven footer should not be able to dribble, pass and shoot, or at least have the confidence to shoot the way that Poku does, but he does. And because of that, the ceiling is, I think, a if everything went perfectly with him, a top 25 fantasy player because of the blocks, because he could develop into an extremely strong score. We've seen great passing potential, very creative and intelligent passing. Um, if everything really came together, you could have a perennial top 25 player in his fantasy prime. And like you said, you could also have the outcome where He never developed strength. He still has confidence in his ability to be able to shoot with volume, but he's shooting 35% from the floor. And suddenly he is back overseas playing and he becomes a legend, you know, in some league. And we look back fondly on the era that the Thunder gave, you know, this guy big minutes to be able to see what they had. Now, I think the Thunder do actually believe in him. I think he's going to fit really well into what they have right now. Um, Having him out there with Giddy and and Shea and Dort, uh, it's going to be a really fun season to be able to see how those guys develop. They even held Poku out of summer league to be able to put him on a secret training program. There was an Instagram post this week of him eating three gigantic plates of food at one time. So the hope is out there that there is a a bigger, beefier uh, Poku that's going to be coming in the future. But to go to what I was saying before, I mean, this really comes down to your theory on dynasty leagues, because let's be honest, we're not seeing fantasy primes from players until they're between 25 and 27 years old. So with these guys who are 19 and 20, uh, there's a good chance, a very good chance that you're either not going to be in your dynasty league in five to seven years. You are going to have traded that player at some point because you're going to have decided it's time to go win your dynasty league, or you're just going to have to sit on them for that all of that time to be able to get to that fantasy prime. So when we're making these dynasty rankings, what we're really trying to tell you is here is an asset. Here is something that you are going to be able to, when you need to, confidently trade it for strong value. And because of the market value on Poku, I think you have to have them inside of the top 100 because there are going to be a few people in your league, maybe a lot of people in your league who would trade significant win now production to be able to get him because he has that mystery box upside. 
And that's the reason that first round picks are so valuable in these dynasty leagues, because they have that mystery box upside. Once you drive them off of the lot and turn them into real players, they lose a lot of value. Usually, you know, those players all of a sudden have real games where they struggle and it takes time for them to be able to develop. But when it's a first round pick, when it's a lottery pick that could potentially be at the top of the draft, that's where people get excited and they're willing to overpay to be able to get it. And Poku is the prospect form of that lottery pick. And people still can put their hopes and dreams into him. And that's why you see that ADP rising, rising every single month that Poku has been out there because he throws out a game that shows everybody that sky high potential. So I personally believe in it. I think that this is a really, really interesting prospect. I think that the higher end outcomes are more likely than some other people, but, but this ranking is more reflective of this reality in dynasty leagues that you need to be able to view these young players as kind of just a continuation of those first round picks that you're collecting as well. These are assets that you're trying to be able to collect. And once a hyped prospect comes onto your team, you want to make sure that you covet them and value them highly and that you're not underselling them because you can see in that market value in that ADP that you can get a treasure trove for Poku if you did him in, if you sold him in trade right now. And it might go up if he starts having some of those big games during this upcoming season. I th- like what you said about the philosophy of the dynasty league is exactly what we tried to put into our ranking specifically. And it was more about what we would tra- like. We tried to pair guys together. Like what would we trade for player a, and we just kind of stacked guys together and Travis and I were just looking at it. It's like, man, what would we trade for Poku or what would we trade Poku for? And every time we started looking at it, even though the ADP is going down, which is a good thing. Even though there's so many people out there that might believe in him, it was just so tough to be like, man, would I trade Poku for Cam Reddish? Like I would probably take Cam Reddish, but that's just because the floor is just insane. But you are right in that the asset part of it, he's just a walking mystery box. He's a walking lottery pick, like you said, and that that needs to be taken into consideration. But I also would say that in the 80s in the 70s in the 60s the player that you're trying to trade him for is already on the board like you're not going to be able to trade poku unless you consolidate some stuff which is obviously always a consideration it would be very difficult for me to see somebody trading deandre hunter for poku or rj barrett for poku like those are guys that are in the 60 to the 80 range that people are drafting poku ahead of And then you're trying to hope that you get somebody like that in the long term if you decide to treat him as an asset tradable rather than an actual prospect. And if nothing else, if the the biggest takeaway from all of this is obviously me and Rhett sometimes do need to put our bias aside on on how we think these players are going to end up. Um, but, But the biggest thing is you do have to read the landscape of dynasty basketball. You have to read your league and see what players have value, what players have a ton of hype. And regardless of whether you think Poku is going to make it or not, he definitely has that value around the league. Same with the next guy we're, we're going to talk about um, in KPJ. Whether or not we think he's going to be good or he's going to make it, or do we think he's going to be a top 50 player in his career, regardless of any of that, you it's, it's just a really important to, to be able to read your dynasty league, see which guys are being valued around the league, because that matters more than anything else. A player is worth what somebody is willing to give for him. And in Poku's case, that can be quite a bit. Without a doubt. Moving on to KPJ, 
the ranking that we had him at before the John Wall news came out was at 115, which I felt was pretty reasonable. Now that John Wall is out for sure, and there will be nothing but opportunity ahead of KPJ, we will bump him into the top 100. So this is more about a discussion of what KPJ can be as a dynasty prospect and possibly contributor this year than an argument that it would have been before John Wall went out. So you have him at 88, uh, which is actually right behind Poku. So is it just the same thing, sort of a mystery box of production and what he can do with the volume and opportunity he's going to be given? Yeah, so this is interesting because I, I think with Poku, yeah, it, it's it's a projection a little bit more for the future. Although, I mean, but the uh, uh, Basketball Monster and Hashtag both have, I think, inside the top 150 projections on Poku for this year. And if you're punting field goal percentage, he, he gets more toward that top 100. So he, he might help a little bit. Kevin Porter Jr., even more so. Um, this year will be a big year in a lot of categories for Kevin Porter Jr. We know that because we saw it last year. Um, he's going to put up insane assist numbers on this uh, Houston Rockets team this year. He just turned 21 years old. And if you watch just the highlight reel of Kevin Porter Jr., you think you are seeing the next incarnation of a heliocentric superstar. I mean, this is a three-level score. He's hitting step-back threes. Um, he has an incredible handle. He's making people look silly out there on a lot of plays. Um, and he dropped 50 on Drew Holiday. Like, <laughs> right. That is the you, highlight. You, <laughs> he, makes, he makes you wonder how he possibly lasted to the end of the first round, but that's kind of the whole problem here. And I'm actually feeling like I'm a little light on him at number 88 because you see the projections uh, for him top 75 production this year, only 21 years old, but I still have a degree of caution with Kevin Porter Jr. for a few reasons. First, let's let's stick to basketball. Uh, the efficiency numbers are bad. Um, I think I, I, I could hear Dan Bespris almost vomiting the other day talking about uh, the field goal percentage and free throw percentage from Kevin Porter Jr. He wouldn't, Dan would not touch him, and I can understand that, especially in a roto format. He will destroy your percentages. I think that can get better. He's never been a great free throw shooter. Um, I think the field goal percentage can be, get better when he's not playing hero ball, and he actually has Jalen Green to be able to play off of out on the court this year. So I think you will see improvements in field goal percentage, especially as he develops more strength and is finishing stronger at the basket. The main issue that I have with Kevin Porter Jr. isn't actually what he's doing on the court because I think he's supremely talented. It is off the court. And I think it's easy to be able to forget that this guy was completely off NBA draft boards during his draft year uh, because of huge character red flags. Um, and that caused him to fall all the way to the back of the first round where my Detroit Pistons sold a first round pick to the Cleveland Cavaliers so they could select Kevin Porter Jr. Now, KPJ comes out in his rookie year with the Cavs, and he is the best rookie that the Cavs drafted. And remember, they drafted Darius Garland. He easily outplayed Garland that season, and he was the most promising young prospect on that Cleveland team after that year. Now, that offseason, he has a police report that comes out, uh, a very difficult situation if you look into it. And then we find out that he has an incident in the locker room with Cleveland, and they're looking to be able to move on from him. They sell him off essentially for free to Houston so he can go off with John Lucas Jr. and potentially try to rebuild his career. Now, a lot of people have said that Cleveland sold him for nothing because they wanted to be able to help him out. They thought that Houston was a good situation for him, and I think that's very noble. Uh, but we need to be able to remember that he was that close to essentially not being in the league at all. And we do not know if an incident like that could happen again. I, I can't 
and I do not claim to know him as a person, but from what we have seen, from what has been reported, there are significant concerns that this could go south very quickly with him. Uh, so sky high upside, a lot like Poku. The downside also is out of the NBA. Um, and I, it's very hard to be able to balance that. But when you're also getting immediate production this season, I think you need to be able to value them fairly highly, definitely within the top 100, like you said before, and kind of see what you have because assists are very difficult to be able to find in dynasty leagues, especially from young players with this level of potential uh, and especially in deeper formats. So Kevin Porter Jr. is a guy that I'm willing to invest in, but there is some degree of caution still out there that I think we all need to be aware of. Exactly. There's a reason why he has so much opportunity on Houston and it's because the Cavs just gave him away, like you said. So that is definitely a concern. And I would say he's probably the second widest range player in the NBA right now because of those concerns. And when you're looking at per game production for a guy like Kevin Porter Jr., you have to almost look at eight cat rather than nine cat because the turnovers are just insane. I think he's top five projected to be top five in the league in turnovers this year. And that's just going to change so much about what it seems like he can do. But if you look at his projections, 19 points, two and a half threes, four and a half boards, eight assists, a steal, 44% from the field, 74% from the line. Like that's a really, really, really good player. And I mean, he's still very young on a situation that is very conducive to him getting a ton of shots but that off the court stuff matters so much. And it's kind of scary to be putting him ahead of some of the guys we have him ahead of. Yeah. And, and again, I don't want to hit it on anymore, but it's, it's, it is a big risk that you're taking. And I think that's the biggest thing is, okay, where, where are we going to put him where we can weigh that potential upside in that risk? Uh, if you tend to be more risk averse, that's going to bump him down your board a little bit. And, and that's how I am personally, especially when I'm drafting inside that top 100 range, uh, I want to take players that I know I can build my team around for the next three to five years. And he's a guy that just has that question mark right next to his name. And, and that's somebody that I typically tend to pass on. But as we mentioned with Poku, and I'll say it again, he's a hot commodity. He's a big name. Everybody knows who he is. And he's a player that has a lot of name value. And because of that upside, because of that mystery box, he's going to have value around the league um, and around your dynasty league. So that's definitely somebody that's that's worthwhile to have inside that top 100 just due to that alone what can what is what does he bring to the table what is his value uh within the dynasty landscape and and right now it, it is pretty high so i would personally look to move him if i owned him especially right now before the season even starts because we know he's going to get a ton of minutes he's only 21 i would look to see what i could get for him but we could also talk about that in in a whole nother episode as well Without a doubt. Last guy we're going to talk about today is a guy that Travis and I are higher on than Matt is. So we're, we're turning the tables a little bit. Devin Vassell for the San Antonio Spurs. We have him at 107. Matt, you have him at 141. And I think what Travis and I see is Robert Covington. And last season, we know the Spurs don't play rookies. But this season, we also know they're going to be rebuilding to an extreme extent because they just don't have players to put out there. Is your ranking, what is your ranking about when it comes to Vassell? Is it a lower projection than what we have? Is it the opportunity there or, or what is it? Yeah, when I was putting together my rankings, um, my projections and my rankings, um, I kept looking at Vassell and trying to find more minutes for him, and I just couldn't really find it for this year. I don't think that this is going to be the breakout season for Vassell. 
Um, and I think that generally you, you've seen a little bit of reluctance from Pop with Vassell so far. Uh, there were some opportunities for him to be able to expand his role last year. He just really wasn't willing to do it. Um, and I think that we might have to wait another year uh, for him to have a little bit more opportunity. Um, and, you know, you kind of see that across uh, some of the projection sites. You know, Basketball Monster and Hashtag are looking at uh, Vassell being more in the 200 to 250 range per game this year. Um, they're, they're seeing his minutes around 19 to 22 minutes. And, and I kind of share that view as well, but I have to agree with you. I completely agree on the triple one potential of Devin Vassell long-term. I think that he's going to be a really solid, steady fantasy player like Robert Covington, someone you can just kind of set in and know that you're going to be getting those stocks, getting those threes, um, giving you some strong percentages. It's going to be, um, in some ways, um, yeah, th- that continuation of that player who fits a really nice niche into your fantasy stat set and, and gives you those categories uh, reliably year after year. But I think we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for it. And you see with his ADPs fitting in around number 126, I think that's probably pretty fair. I wouldn't mind having to sell a little bit higher than I do, but you know that kind of gets into a range of the rankings where there's a lot of players who I like the potential of, but it just hasn't quite happened yet and it might not happen just quite yet. I couldn't agree more. I don't think this is the year he's probably one or two more still. I said he was our last one, but actually his teammate, I just noticed you have Keldon Johnson at 114. We have him at 138. Keldon doesn't have nearly the fantasy friendly game that Vassell projects to have. Is that just more about additional opportunity that he got last year? And then obviously moving forward without DeMar DeRozan out there at the four. Yeah, so this is actually like quite literally the opposite scenario uh, that, I, that I was just describing with Devin Vassell. Um, I think Pop strongly believes in Kelvin Johnson. We don't know that because he dragged Kelvin along with him uh, for uh, with the Olympic team um, over the last couple of years. And he had gave him substantial minutes last year in what was essentially his rookie year because he barely played other than in the bubble last season. Um, Keldon is also a little bit higher in my rankings because of how much the market loves him. And, uh, this shows the stickiness of, uh, small sample, big performances from young players because Keldon looked great in the Orlando bubble, um, and kind of put himself on the map after being an afterthought in rookie drafts during his rookie year. Uh, that drove up his ADP pretty significantly in Dynasty League. So then he comes out at the start of last year and has some big games, um, some really good shooting games, and people went nuts. Um, his ADP went through the roof around that time, and it, it has largely held there. I mean, we're talking about in this last month, he's number 98 in ADP in Dynasty Leagues, um, which is pretty wild for a guy who was not that good last year. It was really just kind of inside the top 200 in per-game production last season. So with Kelton Johnson, I, I don't see a fantasy stat set that that's that intriguing right now, despite being trusted to defend the other team's best scoring wing every night by the Spurs and having a tremendous amount of support and trust from Pop. Um, the defensive stats have not been there. Maybe they will appear, but I think often that, that becomes a fool's errand and, and something that we just wish for year after year with guys who don't develop defensive stats that suddenly they're just going to magically appear. Um, I'm not really anticipating that. So if I had Calvin Johnson, I would definitely be trying to find the people in my league who view him as a top 100 dynasty player. Um, while I like him in a lot of ways as a real life player, I don't know if his fantasy game is ever going to match up um, with that impact that he can make, I think, in the long run as a winning player in the NBA. 
Um, so he's probably a guy who's a sell for me. I'm keeping my ranking a little bit high on him just to be able to reflect the market value there. Um, and still the possibility that maybe there's more to his fantasy stat set. But overall, I would probably be looking to move if someone is willing to give up a top 100 asset for him. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what the Spurs do with those wing players. We, we know what their backcourt's going to look like, but between... Um, Keldon Johnson, they just signed uh, Doug McDermott this year, Devin Vassell, Lonnie Walker's still there. So there are quite a few wing players there that are going to be um, in that rotation, and, and we'll see how those minutes shake out. Just the main reason we alluded to it with uh, the reason that I have Vassell over Keldon Johnson is is just that that profile that he projects with with a three, a steal, and then, and then almost a block as well. And I'd rather be a year early on acquiring him than a year too late where he does break out. I do feel... Uh, this is not going to be his year. He'll have a hard time getting over 20 minutes a game. Uh, but next year, I, I really think he's going to take a big leap. And I, like I said, I'd rather be a year early on him. He has a very similar profile to me, like a McCall Bridges type. And we see where where Bridges is ranked in, in our dynasty ranks. And that's you know right around that, that top 50 range. And, and Vassell has a very similar profile um, as him. So And he's on a good, a good Spurs team that's always been uh, really solid as, as, as far as player development goes. So really high on him and, and definitely somebody I'd take a chance on, even if I, I have to maybe uh, watch him develop another year and not really contribute to my team. All comes down to timeline and what your team is going to be doing this year and what you need the players on your team to be contributing immediately. So that's going to wrap up episode two. We might have an episode three, four, five, and six as we start going through these rankings, just because you guys seem to like it so much. And obviously we enjoy talking with Matt and arguing about some of these players far more than what we probably should. Uh, Matt, do you have anything else coming out? Anything you want to plug real quick? Yeah, well, um, so I've been putting out some updates uh, recently to all my different rankings across Dynasty rankings, redraft rankings. I'm going to be putting out some rankings um, in the next week uh, for the underdog uh, platform, uh, which is uh, their NBA product is a best ball points format that's draft only. Um, and based on what I've seen through that format, there's some incredible value for people to be able to draft players that are, that should be going much higher. Um, you can go make some money and you don't have to be able to do some in-season maintenance. So be on the lookout on my Twitter profile for that. I'm also going to be having some new dynasty rankings coming out um, over the next few weeks, um, take, endeavoring to be able to add notes to every single player when I have about 500 of them has been quite an odyssey, but I'm slowly getting there and I will climb that mountain. So uh, look out for that uh, in the coming uh, weeks as I try to finish it out. Yeah, absolutely. Find Matt on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. And we know very well about those notes for every player. We only went to 250 and it was a it was a chore. So uh, 500, I am not envious of you. Find us over at hoop-ball.com, our Dynasty Rankings for Fantasy Pass subscribers. We've got a couple team coverage episodes coming out here soon bringing on people from HoopBall and other websites who cover teams specifically to talk about what the rotations might look like and some surprising players, both good and bad for this season. We're still doing our 12-team mock draft for pun intended, so if you're interested in that, be sure to find us on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer and at Travis underscore Fuller 92 to be included in that. We'd really love to have you and uh, end up talking about your picks, whether they're good or bad. So thank you guys very much for tuning in. We'll catch you again next time.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.